Hey everyone, I hope you've been well. Welcome back to another podcast. This week, you're the guy in your SHO. You've been on the unit for a few weeks now. You're starting to get to grips with things and feel a lot more confident. You suddenly get a call from A&E. The doctors want you to come down and review a patient. She's pregnant and she's been vomiting. As you make your way to A&E, you start thinking of all the differentials. You get there, you introduce yourself and you meet Lucy. Lucy is a 24 year old young lady. She's 11 weeks pregnant and this is her first pregnancy. And the reason why she came into A&E is because she's feeling nauseous and has been vomiting. So you start and proceed to taking a history. You focus on her main presenting symptoms, which are nausea and vomiting. You ask about the onset, the duration, the frequency and associated symptoms. She tells you it's been getting worse for the last few weeks. She feels nauseous, particularly in the morning, had episodes of vomiting, but for a day or two now, she's been vomiting really bad and is unable to tolerate any food or fluids. So you delve into the history further. You ask, is this her first pregnancy? Does she have any previous history of nausea and vomiting, particularly in pregnancy? I highlight the fact that this is her first pregnancy and you try to rule out other factors. Is she stressed? Are there any signs of obesity? The main thing with the history is to allow you to rule in differentials as well as ruling out other differentials. For her, Lucy tells you she's normally fit and well, she doesn't take any regular medications and the main issues with her is this feeling of nausea and vomiting and she's really worried. You don't find any other significant findings from a history from her. You go on to do an examination. You do the basic observations. You notice signs of dehydration. Her mucous membranes are dry. She's slightly tachycardic and you're looking for signs of postural hypertension. You go on and do an abdominal examination. Her abdomen is soft, it's non-tender. Her chest are clear and you haven't noted any focal abnormal neurology, which is important and we'll cover later on. So her presenting symptoms still remain to be nausea and vomiting and you haven't found any other issues with her bowels, her urine, there aren't any signs of dysuria and you're starting to work towards the diagnosis. As you'd imagine, the top differential with this type of history and presentation is nausea and vomiting or something called morning sickness and particularly if it's really bad and presents with patients turning up into hospital you're thinking of hyperemesis gravidarum. So before we go into investigations what do you think are the most important investigations you need to do? Firstly you can start off by doing a urine dipstick, you can rule out any UTIs, you want to send off an MSU, you also want to do a full blood count and measure her use and ease, her urea and electrolytes. You can check her blood glucose. Importantly in young females that are pregnant you want to do an ultrasound scan and the main reasons are you want to assess the viability of her pregnancy you want to assess the gestation of the baby and more importantly you want to rule out multiple pregnancies you may be thinking why or what's causing her nausea and vomiting nausea and vomiting especially in pregnancy is a diagnosis of exclusion it normally resolves by the 20th week and it affects up to 80 percent of women and is a very common indicator for them coming into hospital and being admitted, with 35% of symptoms being clinically significant. Most often, females staying in hospital between three and four days. Hyperemesis is primarily associated with rising levels of beta-HCG. There are conditions which cause a higher levels of beta-HCG, and this is resultantly associated with increased levels of nausea and vomiting in pregnancy. Some factors which increase the beta-HCG are multiple pregnancies, as well as tropoblastic disease. So thinking about that, we still routinely do not recommend measuring the beta HCG. So your results are back. Have a think on what you would expect to see. Young lady, first pregnancy, has been vomiting, feels dehydrated, feels weak. 
in terms of uh, electrolytes, you would notice hyponatremia, you would notice hyperkalemia, you would notice a low serum urea, a raised hematocrit, you will see ketones in her urine, ketone urea. However, in certain cases or refractory cases, it's important to measure other or all the other investigations, such as TFTs, to assess for hypo or hyperthyroidism, LFTs, see if she's got hepatitis or gallstones, amylase to rule out pancreatitis, measure her calcium and phosphate, perhaps doing an ABG for metabolic disturbances. It's important even though you have a higher clinical suspicion that this is hyperemesis gravidarum, which is contributing to the nausea and vomiting in her pregnancy, it's important you rule out other factors as well. So hyperemesis gravidarum is when there is severe nausea and vomiting in a pregnancy. It causes profound dehydration, and causes electrolyte imbalances. However, what alternative diagnosis would you think of if I were to tell you she has abdominal pain, she has a fever, she has a headache, you've noticed a goiter, when assessing her you've noticed an abnormal neurology and the vomiting started after 11 weeks of being pregnant. Some differentials that you need to also consider are does she have a UTI? Is it pyelonephritis? Does she have renal stones? Is this a case of gastroenteritis that's causing the vomiting? Is it cholecystitis? Is it pancreatitis? Is it hepatitis? Is it an ovarian torsion, which can easily be the case for a young childbearing woman? Is it hypercalcemia? Is it phytopsychosis? Or is it even drug-induced iron opioids? It's key when you are working up a diagnosis, you rule out other alternative diagnoses, especially with hyperemesis, which is a diagnosis of exclusion. So in terms of management, a lot of females can be managed in the community with oral antiemetics, support, reassurance, and encourage them to have oral hydration and giving dietary advice. But what warrants inpatient admission? What do you need to consider? So if you speak to Lucy and you're worried about her, the main thing which will prompt you in terms of escalating her care and perhaps admitting her is if her nausea and vomiting is persistent and she has the inability to take any oral antiemetics, meaning she needs to be admitted to have her medications intravenously or another route which avoids orally if it's associated with ketones in her urine ketone urea or if you suspect or have a confirmed comorbidity such as a uti and the main management for such patients as an inpatient is correcting the electrolytes correcting the nutrition deficiencies some complementary therapies which help are small bland frequent meals plain biscuits you advise patients or you'd advise lucy to avoid having foods or smells which trigger her nausea particularly spicy or fatty food, and it's key to drink in small amounts but more frequently. In terms of management via medications, first line antiemetic is cyclozine. If that doesn't work, you can go to a second line adding on metoclopramide, and third line is starting to give steroids. And if a single antiemetic doesn't work for her, you can use a combination of different medications. And you want to ensure you give it either IV, IM, or in certain cases, rectally. You want to start with fluids of normal saline with potassium and small frequent meals. You may be wondering why metoclopramide isn't first line, but rather a second line. And this is because there is a risk of extrapyramidal effects. In terms of further management for Lucy, it's important we review her daily use and ease while she's on fluids. We can give her a PPI if she's got gourd, esophagitis or gastritis and we want to give her thiamine supplementation. Have a think why we are giving thiamine. We want to prevent Wernicke's encephalopathy which is essentially due to vitamin B1 thiamine deficiency. What are the symptoms you'd expect to see for someone who develops Wernicke's? You'd notice blurred vision, you'd notice confusion, 
they would have memory problems, they may exhibit drowsiness, in terms of signs, there might be nystagmus, ophthalmoplegia, hyperreflexia, or even areflexia, and they would have disjointed finger nose ataxia. And this is a slow and episodic presentation in hyperemesis. And there have been an association when we try to correct individuals using IV dextrose. Although one case is a fatal condition, it is a reversible medical emergency. The important thing when managing patients such as Lucy with her first pregnancy who's been having really bad vomiting and nausea is creating an individualized management plan, particularly when they leave. You advise them to continue taking their antiemetics as appropriate when they are in the community. But it's also important to safety net her, telling her when to seek urgent medical help, particularly when she's noticed really dark concentrated urine, when she hasn't passed urine for more than eight hours, when she suddenly develops abdominal pain or a fever, when she exhibits weakness, she may start to have hematemesis, when she's continuously and repeatedly starting to vomit large amounts. And a key factor for admission, as previously when she did first attend to us, is the inability to retain food or fluids for more than 24 hours. And she's pregnant, this is her first pregnancy. You need to warn her the signs and symptoms of preeclampsia. Double vision, blurred vision, swellings of a hand, face, feet, headaches. So Lucy is our young female who's naturally anxious with her first pregnancy. She's normally fit and well, but she came to you because she was nauseous and vomiting. You admitted her and you helped her get better. In essence, you corrected her electrolytes imbalances, you gave her fluids, you corrected her dehydration, and you helped give her antiemetics, which work. I hope this was a very small and brief insight into hyperemesis in young females and that it is a diagnosis of exclusion. Thank you for listening. If you have benefited, please send us your email and we'll send you a feedback form. And we always want to hear how we can make these sessions better. And we're always happy to go through more topics. So email us in your thoughts and we look forward to seeing you at the next podcast.